0: Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C Fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Chad Rizzeka. Our guest today is Lori Gibson, who is Director of Consulting Services at Johnson Stevens Consulting. Lori is a consultant that works with companies to improve supply chain and distribution operations through the right strategies and technology. She's a trained industrial engineer with more than 20 years of supply chain consulting experience particularly in the areas of warehouse design and optimization, lean process improvement, and labor productivity. We'll for sure hit on all of those issues, but we're going to deep dive today on how best to calculate ROI for warehouse automation. And personally, I'm pretty excited with this topic that we've chosen today for the podcast. Amware fulfillment has been on a pretty rapid automation cycle over the past few years. So hopefully I learned a few things along the way in the conversation, as well as our guests. So Lori, it's a long introduction because it's a long background. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Glad to talk to you.
0: So am I. It's more relevant than it ever has been.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Before we maybe begin and get deep into it, maybe just a better introduction from yourself than I gave you. I think our guests would love to hear how you kind of wound up doing what you are doing and the path that led you here today.
1: Sure, sure. So I'm a Georgia Tech industrial engineer, proud of that. And my first job, really out of school was I went to work for Nina Marcus as one of their industrial engineers in their distribution center. So I kind of got into basically the whole distribution center, supply chain operations pretty quickly. That distribution center was really more... Distributing to the stores, but started off there. Worked there for a couple years and went back and got an MBA. And coming out of that, I went to work for another consulting firm that basically did the same thing and actually hadn't even worked as one of their clients and kind of got into the industry that way. Bumped around and took a few years off and then came back and then with another consulting firm, which is Johnson Stevens, which I've been with for about 14 years. And then we've actually been integrated into high tech intra logistics. And so starting at the beginning of the year, we're the consulting division for that company. So that's how I've been in it. And honestly, something I've enjoyed and to your point, you know, nobody really heard much about supply chain before COVID and knew not a lot about, but because of that supply chains now on the front, you know, everybody knows about the supply chain and is concerned and understands the importance of it. And especially with e-commerce and direct fulfillment, it's an extremely important factor in that
0: what a great background and a great industry. I know that we both share the love for it. At Amware, where we typically are focused in, on you know a lot of small to mid-sized companies that are growing, we're enabling their growth or on some type of scaling or trajectory. But I'm curious with your consulting background, what are some of the assignments that you might involve yourself with similar type of clients?
1: Yeah, and I think the first thing we typically would do is come in and do some type of a process or capacity optimization project. And that really comes in and just looking at your operation as a whole and saying, okay, is there any low hanging fruit here? of What could be done? And you talked about lean improvement and it's really taking a step back and doing lean improvement. That means doing a process flow and really looking at how your product flows from when it comes in the door to when it comes out and what are those opportunities that you have for optimizing that and that could be doing the four p's of purpose process product and people and then also looking at if there's any waste in your system and that could be waste in motion waste in time of waiting for product to get where it needs to be inventory utilization a whole bunch of things and looking and kind of going through that whole industrial engineering process which has been around for a long time but that's really especially in small organizations when you start and you kind of organically grow you just start a system and think, oh, we need to do this and really haven't thought out the process. And if you can really do that, even before considering any automation, you can really tighten up your operation and really get better productivity, better throughput, and better utilization of the assets that you already have.
0: Before the automation, is it a step before you think about automation or is it in parallel to automation?
1: I think you could do it both ways. I think it's a good way to come in and just look at your overall operation. And even before you start really planning automation, I think it's a good thing to go ahead and get that. And especially that process map that you start with, that's gonna be what you're gonna be able to use. Having a really good design and understanding of the flow of your products gonna help you understand where you can use automation where the best places for to use and how you can use that automation. So developing this and getting all your systems right, I think you would either do in conjunction and you may find that you get enough out of it that maybe automation isn't needed right at the moment, but that you can plan for it and see where the need is. That's how we would go in initially. What we typically do is we come in and we would do this process optimization. And then in conjunction with that, we would do what we call technology assessments where we would look at your operation, kind of determine what types of technologies might work best for your operation. And then what we would do is basically developing this ROI, do a technology assessments that kind of determines if this is the right fit for you or not.
0: When you're doing the assessments, do you have kind of a catalog or is it just through experience that says you go into a facility and you're watching the process flow and you're trying to solve whatever problem, but are they just kind of like on the shelf solutions from your experience that says, yeah, pick to light would work in this environment or a cart director? How do you choose? How do you go about choosing the right automation?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. When you're talking about choosing the right automation, I think there are a couple of things to look forward to. Number one, where are your capacity constraints, right? So do you not have enough labor? Do you need things that are going to reduce labor? I mean, that's pretty much everybody in this industry right now. Do you need to increase your throughput? Is that as capacity a problem? Is your throughput a problem? Looking at where those constraints are and then finding the technology that works there. And also just looking at your processes. Some things we may look at, you know, you talked about a carton erector. You may have so many different sized cartons or you may not have enough throughput, then it doesn't make sense. I'd say some of that's our knowledge and kind of looking, you know, maybe if you have a smaller system, we're not probably going to do an assessment on a huge goods to picker type process, but there may be other things. But we'll look at a wide range of solutions, like you said, coming even from the receiving line all the way through, put away, picking, packing, and your shipping, and kind of determine what makes sense in those and look at those, kind of come up with a whole package of things that make for your whole system. Maybe one or two will come out, maybe three or four, but kind of develop that whole network of automation that works for your environment.
0: When somebody engages you, Lori, do most clients or prospects, are they typically engaging you? And I'm speaking specifically kind of from the B2C fulfillment perspective, but do most clients approach you because they want to reduce labor? or are they approaching you to just increase throughput, save costs, like what angle? And I know the answer is all, but- (laughs) It is. Are we in an environment right now where one's kind of leaning as the primary reason for automation?
1: I think right now in this day and age, it really is labor reduction, labor save, getting the most out of the people that you have and being able to utilize them to the best of ability. I think that's really, the last three to four years become really, really important. And I think as you've seen, I'm sure everybody who's listening who kind of is involved in this, but it's not just the people, it's the wage rates that have really increased. And what that does when you're developing, when you're looking at a piece of technology, if you are looking at it, even the prices have come up, but so has the labor cost has come up so much that we're finding it easier to justify some technologies than we used to just because of the cost that it takes to have the people and then some people just cannot find what's become more of an issue of not even how much the labor costs but not being able to find enough people reaching up a, a ceiling of, of people that you can keep in your warehouse or in your distribution center so that becomes another constraint
0: you always typically hear of all of the shiny new toys in a fulfillment environment and it all sounds really really good but does it ever go wrong when has implementing automation been the wrong thing to do or a mistake?
1: It definitely has. Well, which any names, we had a recent client that we came in to do a capacity optimization. They do some B2C, some wholesale, but they had bought, you know, a goods to picker type system that was really highly automated, really just high end. And it was sitting in the middle of their distribution center and they weren't using it because of a couple of things. Number one, If they would have run an ROI on it, I think that you know they wanted something new, they wanted something that was gonna help them, but I don't think that they really ran the numbers. And when we looked at it, the ROI on, if they would have bought it, really would have been 10 to 15 years. It just wasn't the right solution for them. And then the other thing that happened once they got it in, they realized they didn't know what to put in this solution. It wasn't big enough for all their SKUs, but when they tried to start determining which SKUs would go in there, they realized that they had a put wall that kind of went with it, that the put wall wasn't sized correctly. So they could get more product into the goods to picker, but it wouldn't fit in the put wall based on the way that they'd done it. So then they had to go back and resize. And, you know, we actually spent a good amount of time determining which SKUs and which product made sense to put in there that would get them the utilization out of it that they needed. So it ended up where we could find a solution that they could keep it and make it work. But really, we were just trying to justify the cost that they were spending on it on an ongoing basis. And some of the changes they had to make, it barely broke even that way. So I think people do get excited in the shiny and the new. I think what you definitely have to do is make sure that it does have a payback. It's the right solution. Might not be the right solution for you. There are a lot of things out there. So you jump into something really big. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe you start small. And then it's something that you can look at in three to four years when you get to a certain threshold, knowing what those thresholds are, volume. So if you get to a certain threshold, that's when this makes sense, but up until that point, it might not. I think that's another point, but then also making sure that when you select something that you have the right support, that when you start to use it, you don't just get this shiny new piece of equipment, it's dropped off, it's installed, now what do we do with it and how do we utilize it? Making sure that you have a plan, and that you understand how to correctly use it and integrate it within your system.
0: That's interesting. So the example that you gave where somebody put the technology in and maybe it sat idle or it wasn't fully utilized, was there a financial detriment or an impact other than not realizing it's ROI? I guess that was the detriment. They invested the money and didn't get their money out of it.
1: That was pretty much it. I mean, it wasn't really caught well. And there was some ongoing costs because this piece of equipment, actually, they had to pay a certain amount of maintenance fee annually to have somebody there to do it. So they were investing this money year after year. number one, they invested initially for the purchase of it, and then they were having this ongoing cost. That was the detriment. And it was also taking up space that they could have utilized for something else.
0: So they had a problem and they made it worse by choosing the wrong automation in this example, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing is that that money, had they looked into some other technologies, the money could have been better used to really do some other things that would have really helped the overall throughput of the business instead of where they spent it. So I think that was a good question because I think that's another, it's that opportunity cost, right? They lost that investment that now they could have used to really make a bigger impact somewhere else if it was spent a different way.
0: So that's a really good segue into ROI. So what's the industry right now kind of saying in terms of a traditional ROI timeframe when you're interacting with different clients and they want an ROI for that piece of technology? What's common for a put wall or lights or something of that sort or goods to person? Are we two years, three years? Is it five, 10? What's the horizon typically right now?
1: It's really all over the board and it really varies very highly between customers and clients that we have. I'd say two to three is typical. What most people are looking at is a two to three year payback. We have some customers who won't do anything, but doesn't have one. And then we have some that are happy with five. And I think this has happened more and more recently. I think if you can show a reduced, a significant reduction in headcount, that some clients are willing to say, okay, we can go four to five years if we know that, you know, it's a payback, but we're going to definitely reduce headcount and we'll be able to accept that. So it's a little bit all over, but I'd say two to three is typical.
0: Okay. You know, the first thing you think of always is labor, but what other factors typically are considered space the optimize space and, you know, to generate more revenue in a facility? What are other areas that you consider when thinking about ROI beyond the labor savings?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, those are typically the ones we look at. The labor save is the one. And then also the space, you know, if there's some kind of a cost avoidance that you can get, like when you're talking about space, if you're at the capacity of your facility and you don't have to maybe utilize offsite storage or expand your building, if it can increase the life of your building, that's a definite one. I think there's some qualitative factors too that are also considered. And, you know, those are some things that if you look at the ROI, If it's a service issue, if this helps the throughput and you can get customer cert in a 24 hour period as opposed to maybe what your current standard, if your SLA is, it can improve that. Also, there are a lot of accuracy improvements that can be had by adding some technology in there. Just that from your inventory and also making sure your customer's getting what they want, those checks, those are really important too. And you could even, if you went to it for that accuracy, If you know that there's some kind of a cost getting something to the customer the wrong product if you can evaluate a pro you, you could kind of convert that into some kind of a cost
0: so i always find that to be tough right the labor is straightforward but maybe the throughput is but order accuracy and inventory improvement how do you calculate that or are there like common mistakes people make when trying to i'm not saying overreach those are valid but i mean When you start to go outside of labor and you say, hey, we can serve customers better, time and transit, throughput, inventory order accuracy, how do you measure those from an ROI perspective? I would assume people make a lot of miscalculations in those formulas from time to time.
1: Yeah, and typically we don't include those because just for the reason that you said, unless a client really has an issue with accuracy and they can say it's costing us, they've calculated that. I think it's a little soft to be able to come up with a number on that. If you do have that, you could kind of add it in, but I think it's something that you would like to get the ROI based on your space and labor. And maybe those are one of those things that if you're close, maybe it's showing and you're kind of which way or the other, and you can add this in and say, this is an additional benefit. That's usually how we like to look at that as something that may tip the scale.
0: Okay, I was gonna ask you that. What That was another question I was gonna follow up on is, How do you get C-suites to be more open-minded to the investment to getting these capital expenditures approved? Is it in addition to the ROI, I guess it's the added benefits that don't have necessarily values attached, but things that we just talked about, you really emphasize other benefits like that.
1: Right, right. Exactly. And we do a lot of that where a lot of times the people that we work with are the operations people and we sit down and we work with them And if this is something that they need to get in through the C-suite, I think developing that good business case is really important. Showing them what their save is, you know, developing that really good ROI and having all the background and all the backup to prove it, some information on the technology. You know, there are a lot of new ones that are out there, but there are a lot of really good tried and true technologies and making sure you have all your facts and figures. You know what the productivity rate is for each option and for what you have now, what that improvement is going to be. I think if you can really build a good base case, business case, and have all of those factors included, plus the qualitative things that show, look, we also think we're going to get better accuracy. We're going to have better throughput. It's easier to train people. People learn quicker when they, you know, put to light to really, if you have a lot of turnover, but we can train somebody in two days, they can be up and running 100%. Those are really good factors that you can bring in as much information that you can bring in about what that technology is going to help.
0: This episode is sponsored by Amware fulfillment. Amware is a third party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack and ship services to established direct to consumer brands with fulfillment centers in every region of the U S Amware supports one to two day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com. I guess after all of that, and you submit the baseline for the base case for the approval business case, and you still have decision makers kind of stalling or not ready to have that decision point made, what does it come down to? Why do people still hold off on the approval, do you suppose, after you've? baselined it and justified it. What ultimately prevents people from pulling that automation trigger?
1: You know, I think some of it's just the fear of the unknown and technology. And I think good things to do is if you can work with somebody or whoever you're working with, you know, if you can take people out and have a field trip and see something that's actually in operation, a lot of people will be able to do that either if you work with consultants or integrators, or even the direct with the manufacturer, the provider of the technology, and they can get you in and you could talk to people who've utilized that technology and they can give you information. I think that can help too, because if, you know if you haven't made that dive, it's a big capital investment. That's part of it too. Everybody's not sure you've got business growth projections that people usually planning but then everybody's nervous about what's going to happen next. And do we really need this technology or are we going to invest this money and then the market's going to drop? So I think it's a lot of all of that, just kind of the fear of that investment and the fear of the unknown.
0: That's what I personally like myself. I love going on the field trip. I love seeing the technology already in use somewhere, whether it's the integrator or the manufacturer or another company and just talking to the associates. I feel like that's for me personally, that's where. I get the most satisfaction when I'm on the fence well, oftentimes. How do you think about some of this technology just going obsolete? So I think that's the other piece of why people stall in the back of their minds. They're thinking, man, in two years, three years, my ROI is paid for, but there's new technology that's, you know, developing, that's, you know, coming through the pipeline and R D or something. Is that a real thing where New technology is on the forefront, or is it like in our environment? Like we got lights and put walls and goods to person and bots, and we're okay for a couple years. Or do you think it's really emerging technologies above and beyond that right now?
1: You know, I mean, I think we had a lot of technologies that have come on recently, and I think that the robots are improving and they're getting better and more useful. And I understand you always think something new is going to be out there. And there, there have been some improvements, but I think it's okay to go ahead and invest in, in technology that you feel really good about, that if you work with a company that's there that can help you maybe transition to some of the new technologies, maybe it's a new robot that they could replace your existing one with that maybe has a little bit different capabilities if you're a modular system. And I think some of these technologies are going to be around for a long time. They're good and they're making some small improvements, but... You know, I think some of the old tried and true technologies still and automation still work really well. Some of the lower volume ones and that kind of thing. I think that's why it's good to kind of look where you're going and see what you're planning for to see if you're going to have really big, huge, high growth. Maybe plan for something small now and maybe not too much investment and knowing that's coming. But I agree. There are definitely going to be improvements in technology, but I think it's incremental if that makes sense. I don't think you're going to see something that's going to, come out in the next three or four years, that's going to double productivity over something that's already out there.
0: Do you think in five years, for an example, do you think inside the four walls of a fulfillment center are dramatically different or certainly better, but would we walk in five years from now and be like, man, this really has been transformational or are we just in a kind of an incremental improvement stage, do you think over the next five years?
1: Yeah, I think it's incremental improvement. You know, I think it's interesting with the amount of robots and some of those type of things. I wonder how much things will actually go to be more modular systems instead of the traditional where you have the conveyor in and then the conveyor to the shipping dock, but maybe where you'll see robots more running around and doing kind of modular systems. So you're not buying a huge conveyor system, which is a lot of money, but maybe buying little Robots that take product from place to place so that it's actually, those are kind of that help you with that incremental growth. You don't have to invest in a big system all at once. You can kind of grow with it. I think that's kind of the one thing that I've seen that's interesting, especially in fulfillment and could be going down that road.
0: I agree. I think it's probably module. I think it's how they integrate with systems, integrate with technology and how it evolves that way versus the traditional Conveyance system that you're just fixed on some voice picking solution. It's likely bits and pieces of all coming together, which is good because there's a lot that's come to market and they're in different versions, right? Three or four versions deep now. So it's exciting and hopefully it does address some of these challenges that we have, whether it's labor or throughput or whatever fulfillment facilities, you know, test with right now. So I love it. It's a good time. Lori, where else can listeners right now go to just learn more about you or about your organization?
1: We well, you could go to our website. It's hightechenterlogistics.com. And there'll be a site on there for consulting that has more information about our consulting division. If you want to look into that, we also do integration. We didn't really get into the whole WES, WCS, all the control systems like you talked about. And I think that's Actually, as we talk about going down and what's going to happen in the future, I think that's where you're going to see a lot of innovation in those systems that are kind of working with the WMS or acting as a WMS. So I think those are some things. But yeah, that's where you can find out more information about us.
0: Yeah, that's the enabler really that kind of connects it all. And you got to be strong in that aspect for sure. Well, excellent. Lori, thank you very much. It's been a real joy and pleasure. And we'll hold on after the podcast and catch up on a few things. But thank you. On behalf of our listeners, thank you. And this concludes our episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. Stay safe, everyone.